Do what you know. Do what you love. That would be the best advice that I've been given. I think it's important as a young actor, a young creative, to experience a spectrum of different performance styles and interests, but really take note of what resonates with you, what speaks to you, and, and water that garden. Welcome to Spotlight. Spotlight is an opportunity for candid conversations with industry professionals, artists, teachers and students about all things performing arts. The Casper team will chat to practitioners about their process, career highlights, future ambitions and the role of arts in their lives. Drama, as we all know, is a dynamic art form that springs from ancient traditions and is a reflection of human relationships. By exploring the world through enactment, it allows us to understand the present and imagine the future. The opportunity for Sydney Catholic School Networks to work with professionals such as Nicholas O'Regan in physical theatre is created with a view to challenge the perception that drama is primarily an extracurricular activity pursued by students. So, with that in mind, we welcome Nicholas O'Regan to Spotlight on Physical Theatre, Episode 7. Thank you, Henry. It's a pleasure to be here. Nick O'Regan is a Sydney-based artist who works as a writer, actor and puppeteer, specialising in masked performance and physical comedy. He completed a Bachelor of Dramatic Arts and then went on to pursue his interest in physical archetypes and mass performance, studying with Commedia dell'arte in Reggio Emilia, Italy, under Commedia's guru Antonio Fava. Time spent working with a variety of methods, delving into the satirical world of the Buffon with various practitioners, gave Nick an opportunity to explore both his body, writing and examination of culture to the limits. Tours of Europe enabled Nick to gain a deep passion for visual storytelling and creating narratives that transcend verbal language. This interest was further explored with the medium of puppetry, working with Matriarch Theatre, Gary Friedman, Earth and Dead Puppet Society. Nick has recently enjoyed working with Earth on Vivid, Milk Crate Theatre and writing scripts for theatre and kids and TV. We welcome Nick to Casper's Spotlight podcast. What an amazing journey in theatre you have had so far, Nick. Thank you, Henry. Yeah, it's been... A lot of fun. So tell us, what first got you into drama? I really loved playing characters. I, I suppose uh, when I was in primary school, I just loved the opportunity to put on a costume and to get into a role. I remember when I was in year six, we had a mufti day and my friend and I just happened to wear these big waistcoats. We looked like detectives. So our year six teacher gave us this secret errand where he said, look, we're going to have a party for both your six classes, but don't tell anyone about it. You guys are the detectives. And I really got into that role. Uh, but I was a terrible detective because I let, you know, I told everyone that we're going to cake. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, after that, I went to high school and I had the opportunity to study drama. And I really loved the exhilarating and terrifying sensation of performing in front of other people, having their full attention and moving them, making them laugh or making them think about something or making them cry. 
And it was an instinctive desire I had just to sort of continue uh, moving towards situations where I could do that. Tell us about your favourite theatrical style to perform. Buffon. And what can you tell us about that, that theatrical style? Buffon is highly satirical, highly physical, visceral theatre that looks at the world and mimics it, at all of the, all of the different things that we'd rather not discuss or, or talk about because we're worried about you know, um, what people may think or implications. It delights in bringing those to light. Uh, currently, um, I'm looking at a project about toxic masculinity um, specifically within Victoria, Australia, um, and we're, we're using the style of Buffon to examine this issue that um, our society uh, and many societies since, you know, the, the dawn of time um, have had to deal with. And, yeah, I just love how the style, it's so physical, so you embody all the characters you play, um, you can play objects, you are working in an, an ensemble together, so there's a whole, there's a great sense of collaboration it's, it's musical. It sort of it crosses the disciplines between drama and music and dance. And yeah. so those elements of physical theatre that you're using in the performance style, uh, how would that help students in school when they're not just in drama, but just with general life skills? One of the key things to being a strong physical performer is understanding and being aware of your own body. I think that's a, a really useful tool and skill for anyone, regardless of your interest in the performing arts or not. Just being comfortable in your own skin and being aware of it. And, you know, dare I say, loving yourself. And drama is, is a great subject where you have the opportunity to actually focus inward and to do exercises that are physically based, such as commedia dell'arte, such as mime, such as the buffon, where you need to use your body to express emotion. I mean, I think, it, I think it actually encourages more empathy um, and empathetic thinking uh, amongst people because we begin to understand through observation body language more. You know, if someone's upset and you can see that, you feel that, you can in turn deal with them differently, maybe be a bit more um, sympathetic or a bit kinder or a bit more patient. And that really, I think, helps your emotional intelligence. Oh, well, in the state of the world that we are in today, that would, you know, be highly regarded and I think a lot of people do spend a little bit more time just trying to engage with people yeah. um, which is very very important. You mentioned Commedia dell'arte and you mentioned how incredibly physical that actually is. Tell us a little bit about the training that you did whilst in Italy. Well I went over in 2012 to Reggio Emilia which is in northern Italy, it's a small town there and I enrolled in a course that went for two months with a small amazing man called Antonio Fava and you know five days a week we were learning about commedia we spent a whole week studying one character another week looking at the next and it was wonderful for me because I, I'm from Australia but I was working with people from all around the world and you know maybe half of them didn't speak English so I couldn't use verbal communication but we had tasks where we had to go away for an hour and create a performance and come back and showcase in front of the entire course. And so I learned very quickly that you can communicate with your body. And I think looking back on it now, that was a really important aspect of the course for me to really engage with that visual communication. Yeah, it was wonderful. That notion of the non-verbal is also very, very important because we live in such a visual world, but we 
lose a lot of details. Like we see a lot, but we miss a lot. And this involvement with physical theatre gives us those skills, which are really very important to observe and also to focus, which is so, so important. So taking on those, those skills, what kind of challenges have you found also with trying to develop your own personal skills with physical theatre, but also what is it like to be a, a physical artist as opposed to somebody who really relies on, on the verbal? Well... Challenges, um, it, it, it depends on the, the job that you're doing. So as a physical performer or someone who is more interested in portraying characters initially through the physicality, you really need to consider every different job that you do in the medium that you're performing in. So for example, if I'm, if I'm working on screen, my penchant, so my desire to be more physical, I really need to button that down a little bit because it might read as over-exaggerated on screen. So I need to be aware of that. Um, as well as being a physical performer, I'm a puppeteer. And with Earth, I've puppeteered some quite heavy puppets. And so I've actually had to train to get to the stage where I've been strong enough and flexible enough to use his puppets in a safe manner. So part of my regime as a physical performer is to take good care of my body because you only get one of those. So in light of that, what would be a, a typical day of a training routine for somebody like yourself who's very heavily involved in physical theatre? I get into the space, I take a moment to breathe deeply, and then I go through a 20-minute vinyasa flow, so a bit of yoga, to really connect me to my core and to stretch out my hamstrings. I'm, I'm not incredibly tall, but I'm a taller performer, and for me, some an area of tension is my hamstrings, so I need to make sure that they're okay. And part of that as a physical performer is knowing your body, knowing your instrument, and taking care of it. So after my yoga... Um, I'll then do, I'll look at what am I doing? So if I'm puppeteering a, a 60 kilogram Tyrannosaurus Rex, I need to make sure that a lot of that weight is going into my quads. So I need to stretch them out carefully. I need to do some light uh, squats to engage them and to get them ready for the work. Tell us a little bit about your work with Earth. What other exciting things have you done with them? My first time working with Earth was at the Vivid Festival in 2018. And it was one of the most wonderful projects I've ever been involved with. It was honouring our rich culture, uh, our First Nations culture here, uh, with a project called Murray Din, about uh, this beautiful 12-metre tall um, female Indigenous spirit puppet. And she, she was walking down the walk near Barangaroo and speaking language uh, in Gadigal. And so I, along with some other puppeteers, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, got to operate her. And that was, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting tingles just thinking about it. It was so incredible to connect with young people. with And it didn't matter the age. People knew that this was just a puppet, but it, she was brought to life. Um, so that was wonderful. I, I puppeteered dinosaurs for Earth. I was their school coordinator, so I was organising um, different schools to work with them on a project the next year at Vivid, where they were all puppeteering a, a school of 50 um, mullet fish. And I uh, had some really great Casper entrance in that. So thank you guys for being involved. Oh, they really enjoyed it and they still talk about it today. Uh, their involvement of just engaging with, you know, an unexpected audience in restaurants and down along the pier. They found it just so invigorating and exciting and they were like, can we do it again? So you can't ask for anything <laughs> more than that, that's for sure. So what do you think 
has been the best advice you've ever been given? Do what you know. Do what you love. That would be the best advice that I've been given. I think it's important as a young actor, a young creative, to experience a spectrum of different performance styles and interests, but really take note of what resonates with you, what speaks to you, and water that garden. It's very important that we continue to nurture that garden as creatives because we can be sort of bleached dry very quickly. And it's been incredibly difficult for some of us during this these times. But you've managed to still find some amazing, you know, uh, gigs that you can enjoy and share your skills. What inspires you to make theatre? My grandmother. I grew up listening to stories that she would she would tell me about Mauritius, where she grew up, and uh, that side of my family, the Mauritian side of, of my family, would sit around the table and would just tell stories, and and you just listen and. And it was quite captivating. And I realised that I wanted to become a storyteller and I wanted to have these experiences that I could share with people as well. So is that part of your creative process, looking at the visual side of a particular story and then how you can physicalise it? Yes. Again, it depends on what uh, project I'm working on. But to give you an example, um, I've been playing around with a scout leader character lately and um, he is called Simon the Celestial Scout and he has his own scout troop uh, but there's only one member which is himself and he wants to enlist other people. And so my creative process on this project has been to look at certain props. So I've, I've made some very short shorts for Simon. I've got a tent that I can manipulate to turn into a were-wombat so I look at narratively as well, where, where do I want to go with this? And one thing I keep coming back to is the monomyth, which is a, a story symbol or a story structure that you can follow to help chart the progression of a narrative. I use that with some of the kids writing that I do. And with the narrative work that I do when I'm creating something, I stick to that and I follow those dot points. If you had the opportunity to work with anyone in the creative world not necessarily in the drama world but if you could work with anyone on a creative project who might that be trig v wackenshaw tell us more about trig v trig trig v trig v tell us more about trig v well i was in a theater called the giant dwarf and i have a good sense of humor but it is a strange one and i don't often laugh at things that everyone else everyone else seems to and i was watching this one man show and it was the funniest thing the most absurd thing I have ever seen. He manipulated his body to extremes that I didn't even think were possible. It was, it just blew me away. The, the level of audience interaction, he was crawling across seats. He birthed himself from a cloth and all of these wonderful, delicious physical things that I thought, my goodness, I need to work with this man. Sounds like a very interesting individual. Do they have anything running at the moment or...? I think he, he just recently did a show um, in uh, Berlin. Wow. International artist as well, which sounds really fantastic. Um, the industry that you work in, is there anything there that you look at, observe and go, don't like this about the industry? Or is there something in, within the industry that you go, this is fantastic that it's still happening or that they're working on? I think that I would like to see a lot more colorblind casting in our industry. I'm not sure if this is too related, but 
one thing to remember when you're going for, when you're on set or you're you're working in the industry everyone is part of one big team trying to get the same result so any little anxieties that you might feel about your own performance or your own contribution or worrying about what people might be thinking about those things you need to remember that we're all working towards getting a great result so half of the time in fact almost all the time they're not thinking about you're critiquing what you're doing and they're just wanting you to do the best that you can be. This notion of colourblind casting was highly relevant in Hamilton where it's like the top musical of the moment and people have run with the casting contained within it, which is really lovely to see. But more importantly, it's struck a chord with a variety of ages. So you have young children who were singing the songs um, and enjoying, you know, the storyline and they're not kind of hamstrung by American history as such. So that that in itself is something that's really quite special. And, but it, it's taken a long time and it's still a massive issue at the moment. Do we see it moving in the right direction, the casting? It is slowly moving in the right direction because people of every cultural background need to see themselves represented and not just in a stereotypical way as, you know, the hero or the villain, but as an individual seen for who and what they are. It is moving in the right direction, yes, but there is a long way to go. So we need to keep, you know, petitioning for more equal opportunities and um, Most certainly. more, more yeah, cultural diversity. So what's your creative process like? It starts with paper and scribbling. So I have an idea and it'll pop into my head at any point. I get out my little notebook and I write down the sentence, I draw the picture and I keep it there. And that's the birth of a little project. Later on, if I think about it, I'll keep coming back to this. I dream a lot. I dream a lot. I, I, before I go to bed, if I really want to work on a project, I'll think about it before I sleep. And while I'm sleeping in my subconscious, I'm, I dream about the project. And very often I'll wake up and maybe not immediately, but later that day or that week, something will pop into my head that's related to the problem I've been trying to solve. And then it's really like building blocks. You just write and then you go, okay, that's cool. Maybe I could, I could use a puppet that I make from tissue paper with straws or, or, or whatever it might be. And you, and you just try things. So it's a trial and error process. But it starts with paper and scribbling. Sounds like a fascinating process. I think most drama people start off with a scribble on a serviette, um, on toilet paper. I've heard of a number of people using any form that they can actually find, handkerchiefs. Uh, it's, always, it's always good to have it you know, handy, that's for sure, to look back on. What do you think is your most useless talent? Humming and whistling at the same time. Could you give us an example? Wow. Sounds a bit like those um, monks, those Tibetan monks that can actually do oh, that. Throat um, singing. Yes, the, the, the vocal singing that way. That's interesting. Do you um, have a favourite playwright? Murray Lambert. What would you be doing right now if it wasn't for your drama career? That's a very good question, and I honestly, I don't know. I, I, I have in the past taught in, in high schools, and I do enjoy working with young people. I think it would be working with young, young people in some capacity. How do you feel the internet's had an impact on theatre? Well, a lot, of, a lot of artists like myself have lost a lot of work. I, I lost uh, two and a half months in Japan um, that I was meant to, to have and 
with these restrictions, the internet has allowed us to go forward and to create content and to share it online. For example, myself, I've had a few online gigs where I've hosted an IT company in Paris's dinner drinks. Um, uh, so, you know, I've been engaging with different people and, and still being able to make a bit of an income. And it has been interesting adapting theatre to um, the internet. It doesn't always work. In fact, I don't think it does in many cases. Uh, what would be one example that you think it hasn't worked? Because it's been interesting to watch various theatre companies like The National and Belvoir all trying to, you know, produce things online. Even the NIDA projects for the, you know, the end of year students, everything had to go online. And, you know, it's a different kind of dynamic working film as opposed to the live. Obviously, I think you prefer the live and, and being able to engage with, with an audience. So do you think that's, that's posed some problems for actors today that they're not having the, the, the role of, you know, having an audience in front of them so the actor-audience relationship's kind of been lost? Certainly. I mean, theatre online is one-dimensional. Unless you have a mul multitude of cameras and, you know, microphones and it becomes some sort of hybrid with film... It really isn't the same beast, and to say so is is just to sort of you know to be telling false truths. It, it is not the same. Th theater is about being in the space and feeling the energy that's there, about connecting with the audience, connecting with the actors, being involved, the spectators. And you don't have that. It's something else when you're engaging via Zoom or another multimedia program. So and and you know it's it's not necessarily a, a greatly negative thing. It's just understanding that and adapting your practice to suit the medium. So what's next for you? Well, uh, I'm starting this Friday puppeteering uh, in a feature Australian feature film, which is very exciting. We have not yet performed our piece on toxic masculinity, so that, that's been postponed because of COVID. We were set to go on at La Mama in Melbourne, but um, that's not happening right now. So, yeah, I, I suppose immediately puppeteering in a film and writing scripts for a little kid's animation called The Tuis. Sounds very exciting. Nick, you've been a, a, a drama teacher in the secondary school. When you were a teacher in a school, what was something that as a teacher you would love an industry person um, or even the industry to advice that they could give you to not necessarily make you a better drama teacher but to assist you when working with your students? Good question. One of, the, one of the most useful things for me when I was working full-time was checking in with other drama teachers, that sense of community. I was at a school where I was the only drama teacher on the, in the faculty, and it was great in a sense because I had some freedom, but I really valued opportunities where I could meet other drama teachers and talk about maybe what they're doing. Opportunities to check in and um, collaborate are really key, yeah. That is uh, an issue with a lot of drama teachers, that they are a bit of an island in their schools. So being able to tap into uh, places that have resources like CASPA, Drama New South Wales, those kinds of things gives teachers an opportunity to refine their skills. But along alongside that, what kind of advice would you give to drama students in surviving drama at school? Your time with your drama teacher and in your drama class is precious. You don't have a great deal of it because of the many other subjects you need to study. And you should value each moment because you never know when you're going to learn something that will become the bedrock of your creative practice. So it's really good to just 
be, be there, be present, develop your own warm-up practice, encourage others to do the same because if you miss that little nugget of gold that your drama teacher says, and maybe they weren't even aware of how pathetic it is, you might not hear it for quite a while. Nick, it's been an absolute delight having this chat with you as both an ex-drama teacher but more importantly as an amazing practitioner in physical theatre, commedia and being able to watch you with students has been an absolute delight and we are indeed very, very lucky to have had you today here for Spotlight. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Henry. Thank you. Thank you.